Good morning. Well, the past few weeks, we've been having a conversation about the kingdom of God. We've entitled it, This Beautiful Mess. And we've looked at the teachings of Jesus, how with the king comes the kingdom. That Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, repent and believe the good news. Letting us know that something is taking place and it is happening with me. That God's kingdom is coming forward. We, we talked about the Hebrew mind and what the kingdom of God meant to them. How it was progressive. How God had established through Abraham the lineage that would be producing the Messiah. How he established the law with Moses developing the nation establishing a lineage through David and throughout their history through the prophets would restore and bring to mind this covenant that God had made with these people. The, the prophets were often just bringing the people back. Don't you remember? You've broken the covenant. And so they were there to kind of remind the nation that God's kingdom is still taking place. It is still moving forward. It is something that is still happening. They believed it was literal. It wasn't figurative. It wasn't a pie in the sky or the by and by. It was something that was actually going to be taking place. And last week we looked at some of the parables and teachings of Jesus where he talked about the kingdom of heaven. And the way he spoke about it wasn't, again, something that was often the distant future, but it was something that was actually breaking in now. There was the parable of the mustard seed. Remember, all these parables, they would begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he's trying to give us insight into what the kingdom really is. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the tiniest of seeds, but then it produces something much bigger, or it's like a little leaven, a little yeast that's put in the dough, and it permeates throughout the entire dough. It's something that starts off small, but grows into something much bigger. He told us the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who, who plants some wheat. And as the wheat springs up and starts to grow, an enemy comes in and plants tares, weeds by it. And they said, well, should we tear out the weeds? And he says, no, otherwise you're going to damage the wheat. Let them grow together. And at the end, the angels will come and bring this harvest. And so there is this present tense that is taking place where the weed and the wheat are growing up together and it's happening. And so we see the beauty of God's kingdom being established and we see the mess of this world. Even as we've prayed for little Josiah, we see this horrific things happening, but at the same time, there is the hope and, and beauty of God that is taking place at the same time. And that's where we find ourselves. Many times we have this kind of spiritual bipolar thing going on. We're kind of living a, a duplicity life. We have our physical life and then we have the spiritual life. But what that is, is when we go to church or, you know, we might have a time where we read the Bible in the morning or our devotion or our daily bread or whatever it is. And so we have our spiritual time and then we have our other time. 
And we've divided our lives in this way so that we think of it as just, well, I'm going to do my dues, I'm going to put my time in for God, and then I'm going to have my regular life where I go to work, I have to do all the things that I do. And they're divided and, and they're different. And that's not what we see taking place in the kingdom. And as Jesus moves forward, he didn't segregate the physical and the spiritual. The spiritual in the kingdom of God is not one step above a fairy tale, something that's going to happen. It was something that was pushing forward through Jesus, through his disciples, through the ages. It is something literally taking place. I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia because I think it kind of captures this. And you guys should know the story. There's been like, I don't know how many movies made about it. If you haven't read the book, you've seen one of the movies where these kids are living in England and it's war-torn, World War II, but then they find this wardrobe at their uncle's house, I believe it was, and as they go through the wardrobe hiding, they come out into this enchanted world, Narnia. And it, the idea is that there is this reality of there another world that is taking place at the same time this existing world that we know is taking place. And so you have this kingdom of Narnia and you have the world back in England and they're both happening at the same time. And, and it's an illustration of the kingdom of God that's taking place. And as they go through this wardrobe and they find Narnia, there's fawns and there's the white witch and there's this adventure and it's amazing. And as we see the scriptures talk about the kingdom of God, we see Jesus and he's doing healing and miracles and we see Acts, the disciples working and people are coming and changing their lives. Saul becomes Paul and amazing things are happening. It's this exciting world. And, and I remember when I became a follower of Christ, just being so excited with the wonder of God being a part of my life, this revelation that God is present and at work in my life. But I found like when I went through that wardrobe, instead of finding Narnia, I found a dentist's office. You know, there's fluorescent lights. There's bad music playing. There's the smell of enamel burning and the sound of the drill. And this kingdom became a thing where you go and you listen to boring Bible studies. Sometimes, come on, face it. <laughs> and there's just no life. It became very structured, very sterile. And I wonder, what has happened to the wonder of the kingdom of God that's breaking in all around us? that is showing up in and through our lives. Where is that wonder? Where is the place that it has in our lives? And so we want to look at the priority of the kingdom of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I had thought that when I became a Christian, I repented. And you repent one time and then everything changes. But I have found throughout my life that repentance isn't something that just happens once. It's something that happens over and over again. 
We, we talked about this when we went through Nehemiah and we saw the nation of Israel repenting over and over and over again. And it's a continual process. So instead of it being just this one-time thing, repentance is like this giant U-turn in a cul-de-sac. It's like turning the Titanic. My whole life is like this giant repentance where I'm constantly turning and turning and turning towards God over and over and over again. And when Jesus initiates his kingdom, it was to be so the reality of heaven can now define our lives, can now shape the people who we are. And that's a continual process. We don't come to a place of faith and understanding of Jesus, and boom, we got it all. It's something that continually transforms us. And in chapter 8 of Romans... Starting at verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm, I love that word, of the flesh cannot please God. So many times we live our lives just focused on the senses that we have, just to fulfill the things that we can taste and touch and see. So many times what defines our life is what Paul here calls the flesh. We believe in God. He's there on Sundays or at funerals or when we need him. But the rest of the week and the rest of the time, my life is really defined by my senses, those things that I can handle, those things I can taste, those things I can see, those things that have the control in my life. And these are the things that we desire for. These are the things that we focus on. These are the things that our compass is set towards. It's the better job. It's the new clothes, the new furniture, the new house. It's those things that we want here and now. Those things that we think are going to satisfy us. If I could just have that new whatever, fill in the blanks. And you guys know what that's like. We all want the new whatever. The new gadget. The new cell phone. The new shoes. The new guitar. I could go on and on. There's so many new things. And we always want the stuff. And when our lives are so focused on the stuff, what happens is we become blind to the spirit. We we don't see it. It, It's not affecting us. It's not having a play and a role in our lives because we're too focused on these certain things. It's not that they don't exist. They're there. We just don't see them because we are blind to them. One of my boys is colorblind. He can see primary colors okay, but it's the pastels. You know, a pastel green and a pastel blue to him look the same. 
It's not that the colors don't exist. He's just unable to see them. He can't distinguish between them. And a lot of us are that way with the flesh and the spirit. We don't distinguish between them. We, we don't see how we are focused on one thing. It all looks the same to us. And so now going to church is just another way for me to get the things that I want to make myself feel good, to try and get those things that are going to help my life. And it all becomes about me. This is about me. And Paul is telling us that if our mind is set just on the flesh, the desires of the flesh, we're going to find ourselves at enmity with God. There is going to be this hostility that comes between us. Because we are building our lives on something. We are trusting our lives to something. All of us. Is it your job? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your husband, your wife? We all trust something for our lives. And what is that something? And where does God play? And where does the kingdom play in this? You know, the word priority means something deserving prior or first attention. What would happen if the kingdom of God was a priority in our lives? If it gave us, or we gave it our first attention, if we thought about it first, how would it affect and change our lives? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he gives us some insight. He's speaking to people just like you and me, people with responsibilities, people with cares, needs. And in chapter 6, starting at verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Jesus starts off with this statement that really almost seems ludicrous and not the rapper. It just seems, are you serious? In fact, Christopher Hitchens, a, a former atheist, he's passed away recently, cited this passage as saying that this is just crazy. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Serious? Because that seems to be what I do most of the time. How about you? I'm worrying about my life. I got an amen there. All right. I don't know if that's a good thing. We worry about our lives. I worry about my kids. I worry about my finances. I worry about health. I worry about everything. That's all I do. Monday through Friday, it's time to worry. It's like my job. I don't know what I would do if I didn't worry. I'd be walking in my pajamas down the street and gonna go get some coffee. Yeah, I'm in my PJs. No worries. Got my slippers on. We're just so used to worrying. And so Jesus comes and he says, don't worry about your life. You see, what we are spending our energy on, what we are spending our focus on are the things that are temporary. It is the things we see, the things we touch, the things we can handle. And we are blind to the kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. He, he tells us and he tries to encourage us not to be consumed, not to allow our lives to be consumed with these things because these are the things that now shape who we are. And then he gives us these illustrations that, again, are, are unique. Talks about birds. I'm not a bird person. I don't have the shorts and the binoculars and the little net. I, I don't go out. I don't know much about birds. But Jesus gives us this illustration. He says, the birds aren't going around freaking out. Oh no, I gotta get to Costco before it closes. We don't have any food. They don't talk to each other. Hey, did you go sow any seeds today? No. Oh my gosh, what are we gonna do tomorrow? The bills are due. No, the bills are on our face. <laughs> I don't know, it came to me. I should have. I should have thrown it away, but it's too late. They don't worry about those things. I heard that a sparrow has to eat seven times its weight a day. Makes the mind wonder, doesn't it? I'm trying to be like the sparrows. The necessity that they have and God cares for them. And aren't you more valuable than the sparrows? And he's trying to open our understanding to 
this other realm that is present and is supposed to be shaping our lives, that is supposed to be molding who we are. And are we seeing that? Are we focused in that? And as Paul said in Romans, is that our desire? Because you will follow your desires. Is the kingdom and its righteousness your desire? Or are you too caught up in worry to see the kingdom taking place in your midst? He goes on and he says, why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field. They don't labor, they don't spin. And Solomon, the, the greatest of the kings, the one who had the temple and the gold and all the wealth, he's not arrayed like just one of these. You know, it's amazing how nature inspires and just can cause us to, to lose our breath. When you see a scene in the canyon and, you know, a sunset or the mountains and it just captures your attention. You go and you take pictures of those things. We, we don't go and take pictures. Oh, you know, what do you want to do this summer for vacation? Let's go to the mall. Okay. Here, take a picture of me by KB Toys. You know, is there still a KB Toys? Anyway, the things that capture our attention are the things that God has made that are splendorous and they're all around us. Do we realize that? Do we grasp that the Creator has designed this beauty? And yet all of creation cannot declare God's glory like you and I can. Because we were the ones created in His image. And so the most spectacular thing you could visualize does not have the chance to represent God like you or me. Do you realize that? That our lives should be taking the breath away of people who behold God at work within us, the kingdom showing up in our midst. And every now and then it happens. You see someone who selflessly gives of themselves or to a situation and it, it inspires you. It makes you weep. It, it captures your emotion and it gives you this understanding of the realm of the spirit, that there is more taking place, that it is actually better to give than to receive, that there is more than meets the eye. And all of creation in its beauty. Those flowers and their splendor are just here today, gone tomorrow, and they're burned. Aren't you more valuable? And then he says, don't even the pagans seek after those things. And what he's saying is those who have no concept of God, that's what they live for. Do you have a concept of God? Then what do you and I live for? What is our motivation? What is shaping us? What is molding our thinking? What is causing us to do the things that we do? Is it just the stuff? What I need to eat, what I want to wear, 
Or is there a kingdom that we belong to that we can see that also shapes us, that also transforms us? He says, seek first his kingdom. There's priority. Before you do the other things, because he doesn't say don't get any food, don't buy any clothes. He's not condemning the stuff. He's just prioritizing them. Seek first. And when I think of the word seek, I, I go back to childhood because I don't use the word seek except for hide and seek. You guys play hide and seek? Anyone here play hide and seek? Okay. Go in the neighborhood and everyone takes off. They count to 20 and you got to make sure they're not cheating. And then when you're seeking someone, you're looking for. Are, are we looking for the kingdom in our lives? Are we looking for the kingdom and how it shows up in our midst? Is our desire the spirit and the things of God, is that a priority in our lives? And, and don't answer it because I know it's not all the time, just like it's not for me. We're still in that big U-turn, okay? My truck has terrible turning radius. I got to do the three-point turns all the time. It's like the Titanic sometimes. Okay, I'm turning. My life's turning still. It's been 20 years. I'm still turning. Do we seek first his kingdom? Is it the priority of our lives? Is it our passion? Is it what we desire to have? And, and this is one of those honest moments where we have to ask ourselves, what is my desire? What, what do I really want? Because this isn't about doing church. This isn't about doing the right things. This is about being people who are of this kingdom. This is about going through the wardrobe and accessing Narnia. This is about the reality of heaven showing up in our lives and shaping who we are. This is about the king being our king and us living in his kingdom. And allowing him to be our desire. And allowing his priorities to shape the things that we do and how we live. Because his kingdom is here and it's still moving forward. It's not slowing down and it's going to come to a culmination. But in the meantime, right now, we are in the midst. And we see it breaking through, but how is it showing up in our lives? What is he doing in us and what are we giving him? Because as it showed up with Jesus and his disciples and that life of just adventure, you read the book of Acts and you're thinking, this is amazing. Look at all the things that God is doing. Look at these people who are hearing the message and are having their lives radically changed. Look at the miracles that are taking place. But we're coming up into the dentist's office. And my idea of the kingdom and my idea of the spirit is in a school with fluorescent lights and hard chairs 
and I'm doing my time. And what we need to do is tear down the dentist's walls and get to the reality of the kingdom of heaven so that it shapes and molds who we are because he is still moving his kingdom forward. You know, after Jesus went back to heaven, a friend of mine named Laura went down to Baja and saw the colonies there and the children there, and so she decided to try and help those children by taking portable, disposable cameras to them, and she takes pictures of them, and she started a thing called Niños con Cameras. She spoke here before. Why? Because she was able to see the kingdom. She was aware. She is involved with the kingdom. See, after Jesus went back to be with heaven, Joe goes every Sunday to deal with the youth at a correctional facility. Why? Because it's part of the kingdom. Because he has the desire for those things of the kingdom. See, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, when he went to heaven... Denise wanted to start knitting and doing things to help those who were in need. Had the desire to teach women in Haiti how to knit so that they could start developing an income. Why? Because she had a desire that was connected to the kingdom. You see, when he says, seek first his kingdom, this is how we seek first the kingdom. We see the desires that God would have for the people and how to reach people and how to benefit people and how to bring this good news to people of who Jesus is. You see, we've repented and believed the good news and now we are living with this kingdom in mind. It's shaping who we are. It's become a priority in our lives and so we are being moved by the kingdom. question for us this morning is do you seek first his kingdom his righteousness and trust he will supply the needs that you have all these other things they'll they'll be added to you there's enough worry believe me plenty of worry is worry blinding you from the kingdom as it shows up and as it takes place in our lives. Because Jesus told us that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to us as well. What is shaping us? Do you desire to live a life that changes the world around you? Do you desire to be part of this kingdom work that breaks through and is representing the king in all his splendor in all his glory <laughs> don't you hate it when the phone goes off and don't look
You don't look. <laughs> and so the challenge here is for us. Do we seek first his kingdom? Is it a reality in us, in our lives? Do we desire the flesh or do we desire the spirit? This is the question I have to ask myself. This is the question you have to ask yourself. And if it's not, then just start making that turn. Start making that turn so that we can be a part of the work that God is doing. Let's pray. Father, we are challenged by your words. I'm convicted. Lord, I am aware of how often my desires are shaped not by the spirit or your kingdom, but by the things that I want, by the things that are temporary, the things that one day are going to just be dust. And how my focus is so out of focus many times that I'm seeing black and white and there is a world of color all around me. Lord, help us to, to break through that facade. Let's get past the dentist's office and let's get into the kingdom. Let, let's not allow our faith to be something that is sterile, something that is academic, something that isn't alive and powerful and transforming. Help us not to settle when there is so much that we can participate in. And so now, Lord, the challenge for us is, okay, how can I seek the kingdom? God, it's taking place all around us. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that desire. And as we step forward, Lord, you will open doors that no man can close. God, you will do things that are mind-boggling and amazing. Our lives can be an adventure in this kingdom. God, we desire to see healing. We desire to see lives changed and transformed. We desire to see you show up powerful in our midst. We want to see the kingdom break through. Lord, help our hearts to see you. I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.